everyone. Welcome to Theology Matters. This is Dr. John Clark. And today we want to continue our study through the Sermon on the Mount. And we started a section last time in verse 9 and uh, really just kind of introduced some concepts of uh, that we, we had some questions. It just kind of begs some questions. And in fact, as Jesus is teaching his audience, he's describing the values of the millennial kingdom. He's describing the kingdom values that will be valued across society from the top down through King Jesus, his glorified saints as his administrators of the kingdom, and then um, the human beings uh, who are subjects of the kingdom. These are going to be traits that are valued um, across the board in this global kingdom reign of Jesus Christ. But when we get to verses 9 through 12, we get introduced to some interesting concepts that you wouldn't expect uh, to be in a kingdom reign of Jesus Christ. And that's uh, in verse nine, we see that he says, blessed are the peacemakers. And we kind of made the point that if <clears throat> there are peacemakers, then that means there are, there are others who are disturbing the peace. And so, uh, again, we just describe those as either uh, carnal believers or unbelievers who are in the kingdom reign, recognizing again that everybody who enters the kingdom from the tribulation period described in Revelation uh, are those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ, those who have been born again. However, when they get into the kingdom and they begin to marry and start having children, those children each have to individually make a decision whether or not they will personally put their faith in Jesus Christ or not. And so some do and some don't. And so hence that, uh, again, gives us this group that are probably disturbing the peace. And, and again, the believers in the kingdom are still going to have a sin nature. And so they have the ability to be controlled or dominated by sin, just like we do in the church age. And so uh, you can see how maybe somebody living righteously, uh, verse 10, uh, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, uh, might be persecuted by others who are not living righteously. There may be some jealousy there or uh, upsetness and and even in our day many times believers get upset with people or or believers that we view as you know goody two shoes or those who act more spiritual than us and 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 we revile or talk poorly of them or maybe give them the silent treatment or um, those types of things and so very very much some similar things uh, will happen during the millennial kingdom age but what Jesus is saying is as as a as a kingdom as a government as a society, peacemakers are going to be valued and those who are persecuted for righteousness sake will be valued. And that's unique uh, to the kingdom age. Now, one of the things we want to notice here is everything that we have looked at so far from verses three to 10 have used third person personal pronouns, they, those, and theirs. And now when we get to verse 11, And through the end of the Sermon on the Mount, we see that he switches to you. He switches to a second person plural pronoun. And the question is, who's Jesus talking to? Well, based on the context, he's speaking to his Jewish audience. He's speaking to his disciples that are there. He's speaking to the groups uh, that are now listening to him. And he's talking. Remember, again, this is so important to remember in context that this group that he's speaking to on this day has the potential to be the generation that walks straight into the kingdom of God on earth. All they had to do was receive their king. They didn't. 
We find that out in John 1. They rejected their king. And so the kingdom was not established with this generation, but it could have been. And Jesus was making a legitimate offer of the kingdom. And so in verse 11, again, notice this switch in pronouns. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Uh, Again, now it's you, the Jews, uh, who will be reviled, persecuted, and spoken evil of. And it is the they who will do this. Again, who are the they? Well, if the you are the Jews, then the they are the Gentiles living on earth. And again, these may be carnal Gentiles, believers who are, who are saved and yet living or walking by means of the flesh, um, or they could be unsaved Gentiles. And, and what we see here is that possibly this, this age old, you know, that we've seen over the course of history, anti-Semitism by the Gentile human subjects during the millennial kingdom age may um, take off in force. It, it may be because the Jews uh, are direct beneficiaries of the new covenant. And, and maybe they're more apt to live righteously. Remember, some of the language in the new covenant is is pretty strong. It says that no man will need to teach his neighbor saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know the Lord. And then in Ezekiel, uh, the comment is made that God will cause them, speaking of the Jews, to walk in my statutes. And so, you know, maybe the, the Jews just have a natural... Uh, a, a uh, like a, a natural disposition to walk with the Lord, a more natural blessing or disposition coming from the new covenant uh, than the Gentiles. And, and maybe the Gentiles get jealous. Uh, I think that's probably what's going to happen at some level. And they don't like this. And, and they, they may feel like Jesus and his administration always take the Jews side in everything. And, and so this may be the cause or the motivation. We're not given it here. We're just told that they will persecute the Jews, that this will happen during the kingdom reign. Now, one of the things that's very unique here, and it's very subtle, and it's in verse 12, you know, the, the church, we, we often talk about heaven and, and rightfully so, you know, in, in terms of being described in the rapture that we will be with Jesus where he is and we are to comfort one another uh, with these words. And then obviously, as we study the book of Revelation, we realize that God is going to create a new heavens and a new earth and uh, and have a new city and that we'll spend eternity with Jesus there. And we realize it's not going to be um, on this earth, that this earth, as we now know, it will be uh, destroyed and and made new. And so um, what's interesting is, as we get to verse 12, Jesus says, rejoice and be exceedingly glad. And then he says this, for great is your reward in heaven. So this persecuted Jewish believer during the millennial kingdom will have a reward in heaven. Now, this would have blown the mind of a Jew in Jesus's day because they would have viewed the earthly kingdom itself as eternal uh, with nothing coming after it because of the wording of the Davidic covenant. The thought of the Jew was not to live with God in heaven, but rather for God to live with them on the earth, right? That's the whole definition of Emmanuel. 
Uh, we see the same confusion. In fact, uh, you can turn with me to John chapter 14, but the same confusion as Jesus is talking to his disciples. They, they don't understand uh, this concept um, that the millennial kingdom reign of Jesus Christ on earth was going to have a time limit. It was going to be a thousand years, and then his kingdom reign would continue um, past the earthly reign of a thousand years into the eternal state. Um, They just saw the kingdom reign as eternal, but they didn't realize the earthly component was only a thousand years. In fact, Jesus says this in John 14, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And then he says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. And that would have, and that blew the disciples' minds because they expected Jesus to remain with them. And um, that is the thousand-year earthly component of the eternal kingdom where Jesus is, is reigning and living amongst, amongst us as um, Emmanuel, God with us. And so just kind of an interesting section there in the Sermon on the Mount to consider that um, although righteousness is valued from a from a societal um, you know perspective, uh, that righteousness is still persecuted uh, by some who are walking or living carnally during the kingdom. And notice in verse thirteen, he continues with the you. And um, what we're going to see here is is this encouragement to kingdom residents to walk and live in righteousness during the kingdom, verses 13 through 16, very familiar passage, oftentimes is directly applied to the church age. And, you know, there might be some secondary um, application here, and I believe there is, we'll kind of look at that. But the primary primary interpretation and application is for Jesus's Jewish audience as he's offering this kingdom and describing this kingdom. And he says this, verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. So again, if we continue the you from the previous section, then we understand that Jesus is speaking to his Jewish audience directly in these verses. And so not only would these statements be true in the present dispensation of law when Jesus is speaking, remember Jesus is speaking to Jews under law, but it would, this statements, these statements would also be true of the Jewish population during the millennial kingdom as their new covenant blessings would be on full display. Now, one of the things about this section, as I, as I mentioned, is there's some trans-dispensational principles, including the church age. You know, Ephesians 5 uses the concept of walking as children of light, living from the, the source of, of light, which is the life of Jesus Christ. 1 John 1 also talks about this. We also see uh, in, in many dispensations that good works are simply external manifestations of, 
of this light. They bring glory to God. And Titus 3.8 tells us that good works are good and profitable to others. And so it's not like just that that good works to be done are are just to be done in the millennial kingdom. No, there's some transdispensational principles here that would apply in multiple dispensations. But again, Jesus is speaking directly to potential kingdom residents to walk and live in righteousness during the kingdom. Jesus also uses this to springboard into a very uh, another very important topic. Uh, which is also true in every dispensation. And that's this. And he's going to spend a lot of time going over this. And that is that God is not just interested in external righteousness, but he's also interested in internal motivations. In other words, as we look at a car that may be breaking down, we don't, we don't just look uh, you know, at the, at, on the outside of the car, we, we actually open the hood. We get under the hood to see what's going on and in the same way. God is much more interested than just our external compliance. And so as we get to verses 17, um, Jesus is going to embark on a section that takes us all the way through the first half of chapter seven, where he's describing the importance of true righteousness. But in verses 17 through 20, um, he says this, do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For surely I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus explains here that he's not trying to do away with the law. He's trying to fulfill it. He he's fulfilling it. And so his heart's desires that God's people would understand God's law the way that God does. This was the, the whole, uh, this whole meaning was, was missed by scribal tradition. Their understanding and interpretation had, uh, it really devolved into a deceptive, very cursory, mindless, going through the motions type approach. And so um, when Jesus says he came to fulfill it, he uses a Greek word, plerao, which means to make full an empty vessel. And so we'll start there next time and conclude that thought. 